welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I'm Troy, and if there's discouragement in my voice, it's because I am recording this intro twice now. <laughs> so, ah, technology's great until it's not. So, yeah, I'll try this again. You you haven't been able to hear The first one was really the best. It was the best intro I've ever done, and I'm not able to keep it. So um, we'll see if I can try to duplicate it. Uh, we've got a great interview coming up, but before I do, just wanted to, to get into some updates. If you guys have watched the channel, um, you'll you'll know that here recently was in Arizona. It was the first time I'd ever been to the Southwest, and I'm just blown away by, man, you talk about a otherworldly. I know, uh, you know, being a West Virginia boy, I, I have um, preconceived notions about a lot of things. When I think of deserts, I think of Roadrunner and Coyote. And down around Phoenix, that's kind of what I saw. But as I got up into the high desert, uh, 7,000 feet and higher, uh, just just really amazed at the ecosystem, uh, what's what's up there and what grows. And I was actually at a homestead checking it out and just how much food in abundance can be grown in high desert uh, with just some basic permaculture practices. So it was a really neat place to check out. So they, he actually had, at one time, he had pigs. He didn't have pigs on the property at this time because he's in the process of selling the place. But uh, had pigs there, and, and we talked a bit how the pigs worked out, uh, even in the high desert and situations. So it was, it was pretty neat. So coming back from that, uh, a little lagged, of course, uh, a lot of travel time in four days. Um, there's no direct flight anywhere out of Charleston, so <laughs> we have to uh, bounce all over the country. But uh, it, was, it was a neat experience. So I, I got to tell you this story real quick before uh, we get into any more details, because uh, it pertains to me being gone. And it's the old adage of, you know, while you're gone, that's basically when things uh, break or cut loose or whatever. So real quick backstory, about five, six years ago, built this 15 by 18, I call it a greenhouse, but it's kind of like a hoop house, crackhead, high tunnel, I don't know. It was, I tried to build the cheapest possible high tunnel. It was an experiment to see how cheaply can I build uh, 15 by 18 structure that fits perfectly between uh, the road going up to my workshop and the little stream that comes through our valley. So that's why the dimensions were, that's why I was 15 wide uh, and 18 long just for some reason made sense. But the um, the challenge was, could I build it out of half inch conduit and greenhouse plastic and then sawmill wood? And if you've watched the channel, you've seen it um, it's still been standing. It's it's had some issues, but it's been fine, and and it's kind of done its trick, done what it's supposed to. I've used it more for chicken brooding and and kind of intermediate housing at times for um, animals. You know, we had a, had our piglets that we bought last year in it for a bit. It was a quarantine area. That's where we did castration. So, it, it's it's been very multifunctional for us. Well, here recently, in trying to be benevolent, I thought, well, I'm going to let the boars come in and hang out. Uh, you know, we were having these cold snaps coming up. Uh, you know, winter was upon us. This was probably pre-Christmas. Winter was upon us. We knew there were some cold snaps coming. I'm like, yeah, let's get the guys out of the back of the valley. The back of the valley is even colder. Let's let them come up here, hang out a little bit. If I need to have a mingle with the ladies again, then it's, it's much easier to transition them over. And, of course, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, even though I've had pigs in there before, they have n- never were as destructive as the boars were. They tore it up. They tore up the um, tore the nesting boxes off the walls. They tore a small roost that I had up. They even tore some of the chicken wire that was around the ex- exterior of the, uh, the roll-up plastic. Just things that the other pigs hadn't messed with at all. They decided to just go gung-ho into it. And at one point... One of them even did a Kool-Aid man right through the wall. So I had to uh, reinforce that and, and repair that. So uh, instead of doing what I should have done, which is just run them back up to their paddock that was made for them, I was like, well, I'll just put a, you know, we'll, we'll put a Band-Aid on this real quick and I'll deal with it later. 
So wouldn't you know, when I'm away in Arizona, they take out the two center beams. That was something I had, to, or center posts. I had to put a ridge beam in the middle of it a couple years ago because a snow load boat at the half-inch conduit was just not strong enough for that type of span. So I, two years ago, I'd put a, a ridge beam across the 18-foot mark, I had two center posts to support that. And that had been fine for a couple years, but again, with Dr. Destructo's coming in there and tearing things up, they took out those posts just before we had two snow events while I was gone, and of course it collapsed. So everything is on the ground right now. Actually, not completely on the ground. The The plastic is bowl-shaped now, so as the snow is melting, it's full of water, so I can hear it pop and crack throughout the day. So hopefully in the next day or two, the snow will be completely melted I'll be able to get in there and assess the damage and see what I can do to put the ridge beam back up and put my posts in uh, and repair any busted out stuff and, of course, get those losers out of there and get them back where they belong. But uh, that's what I'm chasing right now. So um, real quick, some some housekeeping stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, in 2024, have a renewed effort to get back on the Pastured Pig website. It's It's kind of gotten stale. And so we're trying to look at that. Would would love to, would love, honestly, I'm going to be very transparent. Would love to have some help on that. If any of you all um, would would like to help me on that, um, I can't promise anything. In fact, there's nothing to give because there's nothing there. But <laughs> would love to have some help, whether it's just content or ideas, just suggestions, anything like that. So throw me a line, Troy at RedToolHouse.com. Uh, if you want to help with that, I, I I still think that that's an asset that could be beneficial. Uh, for us, if if we just figure out a way to use it best, I'm, I'm like a squirrel sometimes, or a dog chasing a squirrel sometimes. I'm just all these different ideas and go in different directions. Um, but trying to get a renewed effort on that. And also, I want to come back. So we've had our uh, in-home delivery service in existence now for, what, four months. And we came through the holiday season and got some really interesting data from that. So I want to share that, and I'll probably share that in, on the Patreon side. Uh, but then also, um, as I speak today, recording this intro, uh, the end of this week, I'll be picking up my last hogs from processing. I took them in December the 7th, and that f- the Friday that I'll pick them up will be January, now the end of January, so I have no idea what it is, what is day, the 23rd, so 4th, 5th, 6th, 26th of January, so that is crazy that it's taken that long to be processed so uh, I'm gonna go there pick it up see what's screwed up if anything's screwed up hopefully it's not but um, we'll do an episode about that in fact I think I've got um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have some help on that episode because we're gonna talk about the processing woes when it comes to uh, quite a few things and uh, so we're gonna have a, a guest on and talk about those things specifically. You guys have, have heard Rob before, but I'm going to get Rob back on here, and he's going to help me out. But we'll talk about that. Hopefully, I don't have these horror stories to tell. Hopefully, it's it's all past and not um, recent experiences. So, But look for that. That'll be coming up, and that'll just be here on the regular podcast flow. I mentioned Patreon. Would love to continue to have support on Patreon there. I thank you so much for those of you all that have stuck it out. Um, I know some have bailed out a little bit, and I fully understand that, that if you, you, you know, it's not that you have to support the podcast forever. Uh, so we appreciate those that have and those that are sticking with us. But if you'd like us to keep going and, and help us grow and, and do what we can do, hopefully get more episodes out in 2024, then please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon. Just uh, $5 a month can get you in there on the base level. Okay, so who are we talking to today? Well, let me click over to my notes because I forgot to have them ready for me. Today, we are talking with Joe Blakesley, and he has Blakesley Acres. And it's interesting. So Joe, Joe's got a unique story, but it's not as unique as what we're finding. We're finding more and more uh, small farms are putting on-farm processing. They're, they're making that part of their uh, business model. And I think, you know, maybe it's related to what I'm dealing with, maybe not, but it, just having that control of your farm. So you truly are a cradle-to-grave process. So the, the farrowing to table, you know, I, I love the control of that because that right now is the thing that frustrates me the most. All the time I put into raising hogs, uh, the care that I give them, and then I transport them on their last day to somebody and they don't, 
they don't have the same dedication to care and maintenance and management that I seem to. So that's what just aggravates me to no end. But yeah, you got to play the USDA game to do those type of things. So um, whole nother story. We'll get into it with processing. But this is what uh, what Joe's got going on, bringing that on farm to help him with his business model. So instead of me saying any more about it, obviously, we're going to let Joe tell you guys his story and I'll catch you all on the tail end. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Troy. I assume you are in upstate New York. You're not. A, you, is everything outside of Manhattan or New York City considered upstate New York? <laughs> Most people consider upstate New York. I'm actually in uh, western New York, um, closer to the PA border and south of Buffalo and Rochester. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been through that neck of the woods. There's some beautiful land over in that area. Yes. Yep. It's mostly farmland, actually. Yeah. Everybody that I've met from out of state, like, oh, you're from New York City? I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> never been there. Right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, good. So, um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about about Blakesley Acres. Uh, first of all, give, give me that 40,000 foot elevation uh, kind of description of, of what you've got going on there. I know you're polyculture, so you got a lot of different things going on with livestock and stuff, but, but give us that summary if you could. Yeah. So um, my wife and I, we started homesteading back in 2015. Um, I've always followed on YouTube, I mean, your channel and a, a whole bunch of other channels, and it was always something that I wanted to do. Uh, so back in 2020, we bought our new house and property, which consists of 17 acres. And, uh, starting in 2022, we, um, started back into livestock again, after taking a, a year or so break, uh, to move in and get situated on a new property. And we are back into, we do pastured pork. Of course we do, um, pastured chicken, meat and eggs. We do a little bit of um, grass-fed beef. We have some dairy cows, dairy goats, and meat goat crosses. And uh, we usually re raise a few lambs for meat also. Hmm. And we also do um, some rabbits. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've got a lot going yeah. on then. Yeah, yeah. So so you said in 2020 you got started. What, what, what were you doing prior to that, Joe? What, what was that decision to, um, to either move? It sounds like you had to move from a, a previous location. Uh, what was your motivation to do this and take on this homesteading lifestyle? Um, so the first property we bought together was only, it, we had a single wide trailer on four acres, had a nice little pond on it. And as soon as we, as soon as we signed the paperwork, I had, uh, we were living in an apartment and I actually started doing layer hens and stuff. Um, I've always been into livestock and poultry and stuff my whole entire life. Uh, starting at, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 years old. Um, I got into working on dairy farms, local dairy farms and stuff throughout high school. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. Uh, and then, so when we moved to our own property, we started homesteading there. We raised, uh, pastured pigs, uh, dairy goats. We did cows on and off. Um, I did some bees for a while, meat chickens. Um, when we purchased our new property, I decided to sell most of the animals and, or, I took them to friends' farms, so we it gave me time because our property that we bought was completely overgrown, mm. no fence, no barn. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we were kind of getting a, not jumping right into it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So is this a is this a full time gig for you, or do you do you have all farm jobs? How does that work out? Um, I just started um, in November, full time at my uh, custom exempt butcher shop. Before that, I was working between 40 and 60 hours off the farm. Okay. Uh, so custom exempt butcher shop. So that's that's something that you have there on farm. You you guys put that together yes. as part of your, your setup. Yep. Um, we just built it this past year. We started in, we broke ground in May, and we were processing deer by November. Oh, okay. Wow. So do you, do you have experience in processing? Is that what you did um, yep. primarily? Yes. So, um, I worked at a USDA facility for three and a half years. I want to say, um, it was something I have multiple other jobs that I've done. Um, but being a farmer and being in the home setting, it was always, uh, 
a goal of mine to learn how to process. And I stumbled upon a job at a semi-local processor and I uh, got in, got interviewed. It took them a year to hire me because they thought I was overqualified. <laughs> and I, uh, once I got in there, I just, I soaked it all in. I loved it. I was, I was learning every aspect we did um, kill all the way through. They had their own storefront. And, um, yeah, so that's where I learned. I learned under USDA regulations for retail cuts straight through their storefront. And, uh, I, I, it's just a passion of mine on top of the farming. So it just makes sense that, you know, um, we ended up coming this route. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's stay there if we could, cause uh, you know, normally I would maybe move this to the back of the interview or later in the interview, once we learn more about your setup, but, uh, since we're here, let's, let's go ahead and and get into that. So uh, having that experience, obviously working at a USDA facility that's kill to retail, uh, really yep. great experience, I'm sure there. So what in your mind was it like, okay, I, I'm here to do this, to learn this, because I, I know I want to do this on my own. I know I want to have my own shop at some point or, or while you're soaking in it day to day, you're kind of getting a feel of, Hey, I, I could probably do that. It, you know, what was your motivation there? Or how did that, how did that manifest itself? Um, so yeah, when I, when I was there, I mean, uh, the, um, owners were very good people. I really enjoyed it and I didn't have a desire to leave. Uh, I ended up taking a job offer at a shop and that didn't pan out. Um, so I ended up taking almost two years off from processing actually. And I went into, uh, HVAC. We did some uh, excavating work, um, plumbing. I'm the type of guy that's open to learn everything. I, I, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn new things. Um, I got a job offer when my, he's actually a neighbor of mine when, uh, he found out that I didn't have work right at the moment. And, uh, so I did that for a couple of years and then my now business partner approached me and said, Hey, are you interested in, um, building a butcher shop and doing that full time? So, my wife and I decided to sit down. We ran numbers, figured everything out, and we decided to go for it. Wow, very good. Is that, uh, I mean, I assume it, it can be whatever you want it to be as far as expense goes, but is that, that's a pretty big nut to crack starting out because uh, even with yeah. even if you have the structure already on uh, on property, you, you, you've got to have some, some serious equipment there, right, I assume? Yes. Um, the initial investment, um, it was... It, it, we've got a pretty good investment into it, um, but we have the right business partner to, to make me feel comfortable um, with what we're doing. Um, we're, we've actually, it was just a piece of our property that we hadn't touched yet. It was all overgrown and red brush. So we started from scratch and the, we built the whole building. It's a small building right now, but we have uh, plenty of future plans on expanding on it already. So. Oh, that's great. You know, being able to start yep. with a blank slate, you can, you know, like you said, just build it in with expansion in mind and, and not have to work around uh, you know, some structure that doesn't quite fit your model. Yes. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So um, so you said you, you got started or you, you got it put together and then just within months you're you're doing deer on during the, se the hunting season. That was this yep. year or that was last year? Yes, this was this past uh, the 2023 rifle season. We actually got power to the building two days before rifle opener, <laughs> and we opened up that. Uh, that was on a Thursday, and we opened up that Saturday to uh, start processing deer. Is so is rifle in New York? Is that around Thanksgiving week, like it is here? Yes, the. Uh, is uh, November 18th is when we open. Yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. So uh, obviously, deer uh, is, is that. Is that like the gateway animal for custom processing? I know a lot of guys around here do do that. Or is it just, hey, it's just what's in season. It's what we started with, and we know we've got a lot of opportunity there. Yep, uh, that's how we did it. Um, we really pushed because it, in about four weeks, we went from having half a building to a running facility to put deer through. Mm -hmm. um, because, like I said before, I was working between 40 and 60 hours a week on top of the farm and I was doing the book, I was building the butcher shop primarily by myself. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we had a lot going on and we decided that I was going to stay at the butcher shop full time to get it finished, uh, in time to open up in time for 
um, deer processing because we knew it would be um, a good way to start with the having a a lot of income coming in all all at once, um, just opening the business. Uh, so that was that was our thoughts on it. We we get in, get the deer processing, get our name out there. Um, it's smaller animals to deal with, a little bit less regulations we got to deal with. Uh, so that was our thought process, get some money rolling into the business and then uh, keep on with our build and everything. Yeah. Okay. So I assume for 2024, then the, the game plan is to get the word out to local farms that you guys are, are a, a full service custom shop that you'll be able to do beef and, and hogs. Are, are, what all are you doing? Are you doing lamb? Are you doing rabbits, yep. chickens, anything like that? Are you... Yep. So we are offering beef, pork, lamb, goat, uh, limited amount of rabbit. We aren't sure on poultry yet um, just because I have to figure out price points and I'm still in the beginning process of figuring out how long it's taken me. Cause I'm here daily by myself. It's just me here. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm in the middle of figuring out routines, figuring out how long it takes me to do a whole pig, a whole beef, um, kill all the way through. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is interesting cause this is something that, uh, and, and we've got another episode coming up where we're going to be talking about the, the woes of processing, but when it comes to processing beef or goat or lamb and anything other than pig, where you don't really have a lot of that post-processing where you're going to cure and smoke, how much, yeah. how much does that change, change the game for a processor, whether it's customer USDA, when you're into that situation, it's like, okay, pig's going to take this long to, to, cut down to primals, but because of the smoking and curing, it adds a lot more cost or requires a lot more space in the facility, I assume? Yes. Um, so space, storage space, um, that's what I'm going through right now. We haven't got our smokehouse yet. It's on order. Um, I have been doing um, pigs for people. I just started up the last couple of weeks doing beef and pork and offering services for lamb and goat and stuff. And uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now because – you're holding on to that animal for an extra week or two weeks, depending on your curing process for your hams and bacons. So you got to have that extra storage on top of the beef that's coming in every two weeks. Uh, we dry age for two weeks. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of small details that can be overlooked pretty easily. I, I have overlooked them myself. That's why I know. Um, so the biggest thing is if you're planning on getting into it, is go as big as you can possibly afford with your um, cooling and freezing space uh, would be my biggest uh, thing to point out to people. Yeah, yeah, because you can you can never have too much freezer or cooler space. I assume. <laughs> no, no, you're always gonna wish you that you had more. Yeah, it's just like barn space on a farm. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. All right. So, so what is, I, I assume you're, you're in that area that's, that's good farm country. So I, I figure you probably have a lot of potential customers. What, what's your game plan as far as getting your, getting the word out? And obviously since it's just you, you've got a smaller nut to crack. Now, granted, you've got to cover the expenses of all that equipment, but um, what's your 2024 look like as far as forecasting? I, I want to have this many animals in here per week, or are you still trying to figure that out? We're in the figure out stage of that. Um, I just started cutting my first beef this week that I uh, processed two weeks ago. And then pigs, I've got a pretty good handle on how long it's going to take me to um, kill, cut, wrap, and do sausage. Um, my goal set that I set for myself when we first started this, I was going to aim for two beef and four pigs a week. That was completely by myself. Once I get my routine down, I think it's possible. Um, right now, I think starting out, I'm, my main focus the next couple months is two beef and two pigs a week yeah. um, until we get our smokehouse set up, get a good rhythm with that, and get a, just a good uh, steady rhythm with everything going. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's been pretty hectic, but I wouldn't have any have it any other way yeah yeah do you have i don't know what the technical term is but do you have the overhead trolley system that you can move them around that way or are you lugging carcasses 
Um, I am lugging carcasses um, because when we first planned this out, we bought a small butcher shop out of all the equipment, and that came with a small walk-in freezer, small walk-in cooler. We got a saw, grinder, cuber, you know, all the basics. And once we de- we got the cooler tore out, we found out that the panels are pretty rotted. Mm. So that changed our process of what we were planning on doing. So right now we are using a reefer trailer um, for the immediate time being of cooling carcasses. We had a guy weld up a rail system in there and we're using a skid steer to get carcasses moved around. Um, but here in the near future, in the next couple months, we're, we're actually already planning on putting another addition on the back of our building probably as big as the building. So we're pretty much doubling in size already. Hmm. Wow. Um, and that's going to house our indoor kill floor and a dry age and a pull down cooler. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, good. Yeah. sounds like you guys have, have got a plan together and, and working in that direction. Um, yep. Yeah. It'll definitely be, be something we have to maybe come back in a year or so and revisit and see how things are shaking out for you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about your pigs then. And we've kind of, kind of gone around uh kind of doing this backwards but tell me about your your pig setup and and what you're raising there on your 17 acres so right now i have dedicated probably three acres of just pasture to the pigs it's mostly pine it's just an area that i wasn't doing anything else with with the beef and the goats and um everything else that i have and like i said before it was everything was overgrown so i had to i really wanted to get into raising pigs i do it for a lot of family and friends right now. I'm trying to grow that business um, to expand, now, especially now we have the butcher shop. But uh, two years ago when I was looking for feeder pigs, they I could not find any um, at all. Like I had one lady, she posted like 40 feeder pigs and they were gone in 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. And uh, so I reached out to a lady down in Pittsburgh, PA, and I drove, oh, I can't remember how long it took me to get down there. I drove down there and I bought uh, some Mangalitsa cross pigs from her. And they were a breed that I was always interested in. I didn't do a ton of research on, but at the in the moment, it was all I could find for a reasonable price. They were probably four and a half months old already. Um, so I ended up bringing those back, and that's what I started with. And I am slowly transitioning away from the Mangalitsa now that I've got two years of raising crosses under my belt. Yeah. Um, so I transitioned, I sold the Mangalitsa cross boar and I bought a Berkshire Duroc boar. Um, he's been pretty good. I've got my first litter and sold that out of him, out of one of the Mangalitsa cross sows. Uh, the sows, I bought two separate sows from a different breeder and they are Mangalitsa Berkshire and Hamp with a little bit of old spot. Um, Super good mothers, but crossed onto a 50% Mangalitsa. I found the growth rate was just taking way too long for what I wanted for the chop size and the amount of fat that I was getting, which I knew they were a lard pig. Um, but at 13 months, 14 months old, when I was processing them, I was getting a super small pork chop. And around me, there's plenty of farms that are raising pork. So, and we're not super close to a major city. Um, I just don't have the, the market to do the, the Mangalitsa pork, yeah. uh, around us. It's more of a commercial hog type setup and everybody's expecting a larger chop, more bacon, um, not as much fat. So I've got a, it's a know your market kind of thing and go where you're going to be able to make a profit. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there, um, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in that, recognizing that what the market will bear. And, and if you're in a, a major urban center, you may have a little bit more specialty uh, meat opportunity there. But uh, recognizing that and saying, hey, it's it's time to transition away and and get something that's going to produce sales. So, yeah, very good. Yep. Um, so I did. I ended up picking up two uh, blue butt. One was a sow, one was a gilt. Uh, she did not breed last year. I took a chance, but I got them on uh, um, a really good deal. And so I was like, if she doesn't breed, I've got the shop here. It's not something that 
okay, I got to wait six months to get a processing date for, I can put her through pretty much anytime I want. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got a lot of advantage there. So, so I, with the custom shop, and I assume this is the same in New York. Um, but if if you would take one of those sales that's not producing, uh, you're still selling her as a whole or half to your your customer base or your processing or to consume yourself, right? I mean, you you cannot do yeah. cuts out of that. No, yeah. no, nope. uh, you can't do cuts. Uh, just like every other state. Um, so that that's the downfall but we do plan on we are our end goal with the butcher shop is possibly trying to go usda does new york have state inspection level or just either customer usda um i do believe they still have state inspection level i haven't looked into it because most shops around here are either usda or custom exempt gotcha um there is a few shops that have the USDA in the state level inspection so they can buy USDA cuts and sell it in a small storefront. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a, still a state inspection, which I am also possibly going to look into that level, uh, depending on which route we go with it. Just starting out, we figured we go with custom exempt, get our foot in the door, get a customer base, and then see where we go with that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I assume that with what you have on farm, so with the, uh, with some of the beef that you have now, I know you said in your pre-screening that that some of your beef is is dairy, and and there may yep. be some more uh, more meat uh, uh, breeds. But are you are you looking at trying to be that start to finish all the way across the board? That I, I really want to sell uh, my pork and my beef and lamb that's coming off of of your farm, and that's going to be primarily raw ones through your processor at, uh, processing facility at some point. Or are you are you trying to do a balance there? What do you think? Yeah, so I would really like to get to the point of being um, start to finish completely all the way through. Um, but I also realize <clears throat> space-wise that I, I'm limited on what I can and can't do. So all of my stuff I'll probably do, especially the beef side of it. I do have a small herd of beef cows, but I am revisiting on how I'm dealing with that. I think I'm going to try to da- downsize on the size of my cows um, to manage what I have for pasture here. I do have a free lease on my neighbor's property, which I'm super grateful for. That's like another 15 or 16 acres of grazing potential there. And I'm hoping to start slowly growing that with other neighbors around me. Um, but starting out, it's tough with just three or four cows to make it profitable to go from calf all the way to finish uh, on limited amount of grazing space. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Definitely. So it, you mentioned that uh, you, you had uh, three acres overgrown, kind of a pine thicket where you put the yeah. pigs in. Um, explain that a little bit more and how that's been working out. And, and are they are they handling that that ground the way you expected them to? Oh, yeah, they are. Uh, they pretty much got it completely cleared out um, from when it started. And they're, they're doing really good in there. I, it, it's not so much of a grazing standpoint, like uh, your setup is with having the oaks and hickory and the nut trees, which I would love to have. I just don't have that on my property. Um, So my idea was to get them out on pasture, utilize a piece of my property. I wasn't utilizing elsewhere and uh, rotating the pigs through there. Um, there's a couple small fields, I want to say maybe an eighth of an acre each that's in there that I used the pigs to turn over this year. I'm going to be replanting specifically for pigs uh, for future. Um, but they're doing an excellent job at uh, taking the over the undergrowth, I should say, out and turning it back in. Um, some grass has grown back in there in a couple spots, surprisingly with having the acidic soil with the, uh, all the pine trees that are in there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you what the soil quality is like in there. Are, are you thinking you're going to take some of the pine down and, and open up more canopy or just, just kind of wait and see? Um, I'm actually, I was talking to a friend of mine today about that. Um, I'm thinking about taking most of the saw logs off there to dry and saw because I'm hoping to build some kind of farrowing type barn up there 
Uh, right now I have everything in my garage that came with the house and uh, I would like to have the garage back for garage space eventually. <laughs> right. um, so I, I am considering taking a bunch of the pine trees down and hopefully turning that into more of a pasture and maybe silvo pasture. I'd like to um, convert it over to maybe some oaks, uh, some more walnuts, maybe some hickory. There's some hickory on the backside of my neighbor's woods. Um, that, that is some future plans of mine. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's, um, so it sounds like infrastructure wise, when you bought the property, you had the house and, and the garage was, were there any other outbuildings yep. that you're utilizing or that's, that's why you have such a need for building something. Right that's, now? that's all I had here. And, and there was a guest cabin just above our pond, oh, okay. but, um, structure wise for animals, there was nothing here. Um, so we turned the, the, the garage was more of like a pole barn, just an open pole barn they used for storing four wheelers and stuff. Cause this was a camp. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I kind of converted that over, um, into usable livestock space. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So is that, um, I, I, is that pine that you're, that you have, is that a, is that a white pine? Um, it's actually, most of it is red pine and then there's, um, some Norway spruce and a couple other varieties of spruce trees. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, yep. you've, you've got, you've got good potential building material there for sure. Yeah. They're nice, straight, really nice, straight saw logs. It's actually a planted pine orchard is what it is. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That explains a lot too. So that's probably why yep. they've got such density as well because they're maximizing that space and. And not probably not getting a lot of canopy opened up until you until you take some of those down. Yes. Interesting. Are you uh, so? Are you, what are you using for uh, infrastructure for fencing in that situation? You're just doing uh, a single single strand. You're doing poly wire. You're doing netting. So for my pigs, I have part of it is three strands of uh, it's 14 gauge electric wire, and then the rest of it's two strand. Um, electric wire around the main pastures and then I started separating the bigger paddocks off with a uh, single strand of poly wire um, but I had a the pigs like to root up a lot of our soils clay so in the summertime when it dries out it gets rock solid and it doesn't ground very well um, so with the poly wire the pigs would walk right through it uh, I, I'm thinking that I'm going to get a different style of poly wire that has more um, copper conductors in it and test waters with that and then maybe also run a ground wire system through the whole fence thing, uh, especially for the pigs, um, just to help with that issue. But other than that, they, they do fairly well on the two strands of solid um, steel wire. Yeah, yeah. You keep it hot, they'll stay where they need to be for sure. Yes. Well, excellent. So, so you said something about clay there, and obviously, I I, I know what clay's all about. So that that was going to ask, uh, lead into my next question. What about water in that three acres uh, without any infrastructure? How are you getting water back there? Are you transporting right now, or do you have anything in place? So what I I have is I have a um, it's a yellow it's a, it's an actually a gas line, but the um, water line fittings fit in it, and I run that all the way down my whole property. And I have different junctions off that that I use for watering the cows and the, the pig pastures because I have cattle pasture just on the, um, the lower side of that. And I run that off of a garden hose hookup on my guest cabin. Ah. So it sounds like you've got slope. You're taking advantage of slope there to get some some pressure from gravity. Um, it's actually uphill. Oh, and okay. uh, everything's pressurized from my houses, which is at the bottom of my property. <clears throat> so my goal for this year is i want to set up a little bit better um watering system because i have act i have a pond i also have a spring house and i just started developing a second spring that's about in the middle of my property so i'd like to set up some kind of pump system and a, a holding tank up by the pig pastures so i can utilize gravity for uh feeding those pastures yeah yeah so right now running off the house water is that municipal water or is it a well no it's actually spring it's oh, a spring, spring house yeah. um the, the only I do run into issues in the summertime is it doesn't produce enough water. It wasn't built for farm use. It was built for a single small, you know, our house is very small. It was used as a cabin. Um, 
So that's what it was actually designed for. So in the middle of summer, when we start drying out, I do run into the issue of I have to keep an eye on it. And um, otherwise, I, I've run it out and I burnt out a couple of pumps doing that, mm. not paying attention to what I was doing. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So the next question I have to ask you, especially this time of year, being where you're located, I assume lake effect snow is, is a real thing in your neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. Yep. We're right at the bottom of the snow belt. We don't get hit bad, as bad as, you know, say, um, Buffalo or down by Erie, PA, where they get the direct lake effect snow. But we do get the residual from it. And we can have storms where we get dropped, you know, a foot to four feet all at once, all in one night. Uh, so it makes it interesting this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. The When the electric fence gets buried in snow and <laughs> yep. then there's a challenge that comes, of course. <laughs> Luckily, I, I, my, I bought a new fence charger last year and the pigs respect that fence charger so much that I actually hit last year and most of this winter so far, I've turned the fencer off completely and the pigs refuse to leave. I actually had that issue um, last weekend trying to move my blue butt sows down to the new stalls in the garage. Uh, it took me two days to coax them out of there because um, they refused to leave. I had the gate wide open. And it's big enough for a tractor to fit through and they refused to come through, um, even with feet on the other side. Yeah. So I've got pretty lucky um, with the right fencer and stuff knock on wood but i also have um a couple solid pens up there built out of cattle panels and hog panels um if they do start wandering i'll lock them up in there until i can get electricity back to the pastures yeah yeah for sure so uh, i know you guys are experiencing a little bit warmer winter i assume because i think most of new york yes. most of that is so uh, are you do you normally have solid frozen ground now and is that an issue with uh, with your livestock and sacrificial areas with uh, with being clay and and water I, I know what that produces when it doesn't freeze that becomes an absolute nightmare yeah up until two weeks ago it's it was a mess um the pigs have a big enough area it's not so bad but um with the heavier livestock like the cattle um i try to keep them off my neighbor's pastures and i have a sacrifice pasture here and I've been rotating bale grazing around in those pastures, but uh, even then you only can rotate so many times right. on a smaller piece of property like I have uh, before you start getting um, a pretty heavy mess with the clay, like you said. Yeah, yeah, we have a situation here where we have so much slope that uh, my sows like to hang out in the farrowing barn this time of year because it's it's nice yep. and warm and uh but for me to drive up to the farrowing barn with feed it's it, i tear up the road because the road's mm -hmm. just a dirt road what's well, a mud road right now so i want them to come down to the ground level to to feed so they have to walk down the trails that they create and those trails are getting wallowed out pretty good so it's it's I just kind of you've given up and say, oh, this is a sacrificial area here on this slope. And and I've put some erosion uh, berms down at the bottom to try to mitigate that. But, yeah, it's it's a challenge when uh, things don't freeze anymore down here. They just they just won't freeze. We'll have frozen ground for maybe a week out of the year at most. Yeah, I can definitely see the challenges from that. Luckily, um, we've had two weeks of frozen ground. Next week's looking really cold. Hmm. Um, for, for a couple more weeks, but then we get into February where, uh, the winter's just been weird. Maybe the last eight years steady where we'll get a couple, you know, we've, we're in the middle of getting some hit with some storms right now. And then all of a sudden it'll thaw back out and we got mud and then we go back to snow. We've had snow in the last five, five years, all the way up till May. Um, and into May, we've actually had snow a few years ago on Memorial weekend. Wow. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that would be a little disheartening, I would think. Yeah, it, it is when you're uh, trying to do a grazing operation and you're hoping to get your cows out on uh, some nice grass that hasn't grown yet. Exactly. You're looking at that uh, hay inventory getting lower and lower and, and recognizing what a bale costs. <laughs> yeah, I just I just went through that. I bought 50 bales uh, a few months ago thinking that would get me all the way through till March. And I just ended up starting to buy round bales and square bales again. Um, and they tend to go up in the middle of winter. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ouch. Well, at least it uh, sounds like being where you are in ag country, you don't have to go too far to find them. That's the situation we run into down here. To, if you want to get a lot of round, you got to go a pretty good distance. 
Yeah, we even this year's been tough to find uh, rounds just the, with our weather pattern. Last year we had May was excellent haying season, but most people aren't prepared to do hay around here in May. Usually it's first, second week of June before they can even get on the fields. Mm. Um, so May was really good, and then June got super wet, like the whole month of June. Yeah. So they couldn't get out on the fields to get the first cutting off if they didn't take advantage of the early weather. Um, so a lot of farms didn't even get first cutting until after the 4th of July. Oh, wow. So it kind of made a hay shortage up here. Um, I actually had a hard time finding round bales to buy. I thought I was going to have to start selling some cattle. Yeah, and they probably you guys probably don't do a third cutting up there. Do you, do you get that? Um, it just depends on the farm. Some yeah. farms, uh, especially the dairy farms around us, try to get at least a third cutting. We've actually got a few farms that are pretty proactive and they'll get a fourth or fifth cutting on some of their seeding, oh, wow. uh, seeded ground. Oh, excellent. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, Joe, tell me in the time that we have left, what, what does the future look like? We've talked a little bit about the, uh, the, uh, processing facility that you're, you're looking to double your square footage here this year and, and just add on there. But where do you see yourself in, in five years, um, with not only the processing, but in the pigs, but, but the entire farm itself. Yeah, so uh, what my goal in probably the next five years would definitely be to um, – I'm in the middle of revamping my genetics with the pigs. Um, I have some lines of I'm, – I'm looking to go more of a, a Berkshire and maybe Hereford kind of genetic line made with a little bit of Duroc in there. Um, I want to get to a, more of a heritage-style hog that grows respectably well on pasture – and, and you can still make a little bit of a profit off of it. I'd like to grow my pastured pork, especially now with the, the butcher shop, I can market a little bit easier and have a little bit more control over my processing dates. Um, and then the beef and stuff, I'm not quite sure where we're going with that. I've got a couple leads that I'm supposed to be talking to a couple people on. Um, I would really like to continue with the beef, but um I've also considered transitioning just to do finishers, uh, to buy some four or 500 pound feeders and then uh, switching over. Right now, we, we're not breeding. We don't have any breeding stock for sheep. Uh, what, what I usually do, do is buy some bottle lambs and I let my children raise them up. Uh, they do all the care and all the work with them. And then when we process them and uh, sell them to in individuals. Okay, you broke up a little bit beyond that. So, so are they okay when it comes time for processing? If they've been bottle feeding them, how does that how does that transition work for you? Um, both of my kids have been raised around it, so they, they they're good. Um, my son's five years old. He's been cutting meat with me since he was two. <laughs> um, my daughter's been out in the shop since she was three or four years old. Uh, they they they're both really really good about it. They they know when they get them. They understand what the purpose is, and they don't. They get attached, you know, they, they do have that day when I, when processing comes, they get sad about it, but they go right into the next, whatever we're doing next. And, uh, they handle it really good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yep. Teach them young. Wonderful. <clears throat> so, uh, I have to ask you a question, Joe, that I ask everybody, of course, and, and that comes on the podcast. What do you like the most about raising pigs on pasture? Um, there's a lot of likes that I like about it. I I really enjoy seeing the pigs out in the pasture, raising them in a, a respectable way, not in confinement. Um, I've done I've done both myself. When I first started, I had confinement pens, and they just seem so much healthier, happier. The meat quality tends to be it has so much more flavor to it. Um, but the the biggest thing is just seeing the animals a lot more content and a lot happier it seems yeah 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 for sure good answer very good well is uh you actually have uh you have some online presence as well don't you don't you have a youtube channel and, and some other social media yep uh so we started the youtube channel mm, not quite a year ago it's it's still pretty small um that is bleaksley acres on youtube and we also have a facebook page for the uh farm that's bleaksley acres um, and we also just started a Facebook page for the butcher shop for anybody that might be listening that's local and needs 
Um, any updates with what we have going on with that? That is uh, Bare Bones Butchering on uh, Facebook. All right. All right. With your YouTube channel, are you, are you covering basically just homestead life, focusing on a specific area? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's homestead, small farm life. Uh, I'm going to be doing more uh, processing videos. Um, once I get a rhythm in the shop and figure out, you know, all the ins and outs of the shop, I plan on doing some processing and uh, butchering videos also. Yeah, very good. Very good. I'll have to talk to you off mic about, um, off recording, about a, a good processing knife and, and sharpening system. You know, what, what you would recommend as a, as a processor, because I am constantly fighting, finding a good knife for chicken processing and, and finding a way to keep them sharp and all that type of stuff. I feel like I've, I've bought every sh knife sharpening gimmick out there and still haven't found one yeah. I like. All right. Well, yeah, um, I can definitely give you some uh, tips on that. All right. All right. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, for the, those of you who listen aren't going to know that um, – that uh, Joe was was very gracious to wait a half hour for me to get my technical difficulties figured out. So uh, he's uh, he's been more than uh, uh, pleasant to deal with. And even though I've delayed him a half hour, making his night go even longer. Joe, I appreciate you coming on the on the podcast. I appreciate you having me. Well, I appreciate Joe coming on the podcast. Enjoyed his uh, what he's got going on up there in New York. If you would like to be on the podcast or you know somebody that should be on the podcast or you know an, uh, an issue we should talk about on the podcast or if you think I should just get on here and make funny noises with my armpits, reach out to me and let me know. You can email me at Troy at RedToolHouse.com or if you go to ThePasturedPig.com, you can use our pre-screening info and that just helps me uh, know where you're coming from, you know, what time of day is best to try to schedule a call with you. And uh, just helps me kind of do some of that front leg work. So uh, reach out to me and let me know. And we'd love to get more in the queue. I think I have two more interviews that set up that we haven't recorded yet. Um, actually, as I'm recording this bumper, I totally dropped the ball on Stephanie. So Stephanie, I'm sorry. Um, we said the, the, the one Monday and I thought it was the next Monday. So I, I've missed that Monday. So I, I've sent you an email and tried to reschedule with you. So hopefully get you on there. And then the other one I had lined up uh, for tonight, actually, was um, you guys can relate to this. It was scheduled to have a call and Josh had water lines in his barn that thawed out and ruptured. So he was ankle deep in water and cold and trying to get water lines repaired. So, of course, uh, podcast interview has to take a back seat. But we'll, uh, we'll see if we can try to get an update from him when we get him on here. Maybe he can tell some stories we can all share in his uh, lament of cold and warm and cold and warm. He's in eastern Tennessee, so he gets to deal with that the way we do. It's be 60 degrees here in a couple days, and it was zero degrees just two nights ago. Anyway. We digress. Well, I, again, appreciate the Patreon support. If you consider supporting the podcast, just go to the Patreon link in our show notes, and we'd love to have your support and appreciate all that you guys do. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. Y'all take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 